This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two Barchies and a Bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden, bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. So we have a very, very packed pod because we have seven reviews to get through for um, this pod episode, which we're excited about, especially because we're going to start with Superman and Lois season three's review. It's spoiler free. Of course, we're not going to spoil you before the episode drops, but you know, the wait, I believe was worth it. You guys, you guys, I've been waiting out here for what, six months for new episodes, longer than that, actually, of Superman and Lois. And before we get into it, I just want to say Superman at Lois is the best superhero show on TV and my opinion has not changed after watching the season three premiere. We were sent both the first two episodes, but our kind of way of doing things is that we always review the series premiere since it'll be the first episode that everyone sees and what a start to the season it is. I agree because, um, you know, it's really hard to launch a season. You know, everyone has expectations when you're in the hiatus. They have thoughts on how the season is going to open and what I really liked was how settled um, season three starts. We're, we're back in the thick of things. Uh, the Kents are Kenting in a way that, like, you know, they have great family dynamic. And Clark and Lois are happy. They're ex- extremely happy. And it's nice to see them in a good place and that for them to recognize they're in a good place and be excited about it. That's what I really loved about this episode because it was very family focused. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of the practical um side of their their lives which michael's always said this is like a family show with superheroes right that's what you said mm-hmm, yeah. yeah and that's kind of like what we got and it was very it was a nice like ease into a, a third season i would say i really appreciated spending more time with these characters apart from like the larger than life aspects which i love too and they were present no spoilers um but yeah i loved like you know easing it was like you know you're just hanging out with some friends and then stuff really starts to hit the fan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally agree with you. I think the thing that makes Superman and Lois work so well is that it's kind of like parenthood or Friday Night Lights meets a super typical superhero show. So like, say, like parenthood meets The Flash or something like that. But this episode in particular leans more on the parenthood side of things. It's definitely a more family focused episode. You get to learn more about the characters. It's very much the calm before the storm. And I really appreciate those kinds of episodes because we have 13 episodes of a who knows what kind of season to expect here. And they decided to take a beat and let us, let us just see the characters. One of my one of my biggest issues is when they take hiatuses between seasons or whatever. It's just from one storyline straight through the next we got a moment to pause and play with the characters here and see who they are let's see how, how they're dealing with both the aftermath of the previous events and the start of these new ones and just you learn so much just about Clark at Lois about Lana just about all of the characters in Smallville and I love that little community and this episode is full of that and we open with a celebration too, at least for the beginning of season three, with it being the boy's birthday. Like, I think it's a really good time to be reflecting on paths forward because like, 16 is such a milestone for teenagers and both Jordan and Jonathan are trying to figure themselves out. They do that every season, but I feel like the more they've been brought into their father's world, the more they've had to figure out who they are, not just like with him being Superman, but who they are outside of him and what they want to be. And I think that's an interesting thing that we'll probably be discovering more as we go through the season, um, especially as it's clear that Jordan and Jonathan have separate paths to go on. 
Yeah, definitely. No, you'll you'll see if you've seen the trailer, you'll know that Jordan and uh, Clark are probably destined to have another storyline together because that's def- definitely the way the season has been building, uh, or the show has been building throughout the seasons because. Jordan is very much the super powered element of the show. If if we if we break Superman at most down into family drama meets superhero series, Jordan is the superhero part of it as far as the kids go. He definitely looks like he's going down the uh, Superman and training route. And Jonathan's story, the reason we fell in love with Jonathan's story is because him and Lois are the ordinary people in an extraordinary family. And no spoilers, but I feel like we will continue to see that arc throughout this season. Um, and I now I think feel like now is a good time to mention that I think Michael Bishop is doing a great job as the new Jonathan. It is very hard to slot into a well-oiled machine such as this, especially a show with the kind of like visibility that Superman at Lois has. And it takes no time whatsoever before you're like, oh look. We're catching up with Jonathan again. He's done such a great job of channeling Jordan Alsace's performance, but also adding his own unique vibe to the character. It just, it feels like catching up with an old friend. Very quickly, we move away from the transition. There's not like, oh, it's a new Jonathan. It feels like the same character, but with something different. And that's what you want at the start of any season. So I just wanted to take a moment and say, excellent job on the recasting because he's doing a great performance. I really like him too. And I like the way that they introduce they there's some visual cues i won't give away but there's some like visuals of when he's first seen that are like it's kind of like if you didn't watch this show and you didn't know they were recasting you would be like oh it's a scene but like as a fan you're like oh they they referenced it visually without like beating us over the head about introducing this new actor but like you said he he brings something completely different to the character he's a little bit I don't want to say more fun, but like there's a little bit more of like a, a lightness to to Jonathan, I felt in this season so far, which I enjoyed seeing. It's a it's a different take on the character, which I think is important when you recast. Like you can't just pretend to be the person that played the part mm-hmm. before you. You have to give it your own spin. And I think it's going to um, add something great to the season. Yeah, I think he Michael Bishop plays Jonathan as being more settled like, um, not to say that Jordan and Jonathan were always combative, um, even though they had their moments, but they, I just feel like there was a more, almost more frantic energy to Jonathan this season two that seems to be gone now, at least in the premiere. And that might just have to do with the fact that they're kind of, everyone's kind of out of school, I think, um, for the most part. And there, he's had time to settle with all the decisions that he made in season two, which were not great, uh, and yet mm-hmm. has found um, his footing again. Uh, so it's interesting to see how Michael Bishop takes that further into the season. For me, I, my, I wanted to know what the scenes were going to be like between the twins and whether I would feel like there was something missing. And they have this great moment together that um, speaks to the different er- things that are happening in their lives, but also they're allowed to bond and joke with one another. That made me feel like, okay, this dynamic is going to work. Because to me, that's mm-hmm. the most important relationship between these two characters is the brotherhood. And um, I wanted that to stay intact. And it, it it's going to take time to grow, but it's definitely there. And I was excited to see that. It really does, because they have such a unique dynamic. And I feel like both of the both characters are so important to the show. Not to, not to say that the twins have the subplot of the series, but obviously we have the Superman story and then we have the twins storyline. So it's equally as important to the success of the show. And based off the premiere, I think it's going to continue being successful because um, Michael Bishop and Alex Garfin have great chemistry off the bat. And I hope we get to continue to see it grow as the episodes go on. 
For sure. And it's going to be interesting, too, as um, since this is a show that balances family and the action either well, and they did that terrifically in the season three opener, how we do the family dynamic things, with what's going on over with Bruno Mannheim, which we can't really say anything about him other than like he's going to be a fantastic villain. Felt very delicious in his scenes. I can't wait to see what happens next. Oh, without a doubt. I was a big fan of Chad L. Coleman on The Walking Dead. I was a big fan of his performance as Tobias Church on Arrow. He has such a like larger than life screen presence and in a very short amount of time that's instantly coming across in Superman at Lois. It's I feel like um, Bruno Mannheim's definitely going to be a different kind of villain than the show is used to doing because I know the concern here was that we were going to start in a similar route in previous seasons and that we have this like businessman like villain who then turns into like an alien like character halfway through. We saw that with Ali Austin in season two but I think we're going in a different route here and the, the presence of uh, Bruno Mannheim is instantly different than what we've seen before Superman at Lois is shaping up to be a bit darker than it used to be every show goes on a dark turn in season three but I feel like Superman at Lois will handle it excellently because I've come away from the season premiere very excited for where we're going yeah I feel like the premiere is going to end and everyone's going to immediately want episode two. Oh yeah I, like I did for a <laughs> yeah. I did and I had both episodes but <laughs> <laughs> But like, so then it'll roll into Gotham Knights, which not exactly necessarily a tonal shift in the sense that, you know, we are still doing superhero television, but it's very much a teen show in an era of CW in which they wanted to move away from that. Um, I think that Gotham Knights is going to be a grower for those who are interested. Like if you are going to watch the premiere, you're going to need to give it episode two as well. Like you can't bounce um, from the series. I am going to bounce from the series. <laughs> but I think that's just a reflection on like what I'm looking for in my television right now. I don't think it's necessarily a reflection of the series. Yeah, because I think we all kind of had a a lower bar after the trailer because the trailer after watching the episode really didn't do the pilot really any favors. I was, I mean, not as blown away as like after we watched Wendy and we were like, what, no, why were they hiding that? Um, but like objectively for me, because I'm, I, I have seen The Dark Knight. I have seen The Dark Knight Rises. Don't remember the second one, but oh my God, remind me to tell you guys a story of when I went to see The Dark Knight Rises because it's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have any like feelings attached to the Batman universe, you know, like I'm just watching as a fan of the CW shows. I'm tuning in as an objective viewer. And to me, it was an entertaining hour of television for the most part. Like you would think that based on the reaction of fans who are, who are just like praying for its downfall based on nothing, (laughs) (laughs) that it would be like this hot mess, but it wasn't like, it was objectively, I think good. It was not unwatchable. It like, Mm. Like, I'm not going to, you can't, if you say that it was unwatchable, then I don't know, you have some misplaced beef. Um, I thought it was great. I thought it was good, better than I had anticipated. Um, but yeah, like I, I didn't, they didn't really market the teen aspect of it too much. I feel like, because there were scenes where like Turner was giving like Chuck Bass and like, you know, I don't it just, there was a teen aspect that lured me in as like a fan of teen dramas who was kind of a casual like superhero fan. So like to me, it was a successful pilot, not the best of the three that we've seen from the CW, but you know, 
for what I saw objectively, it was fine. It was a good hour. Yeah. And it's interesting because like, I feel like out of the three of us, we have uh, our love of teen dramas and we have our love of superheroes. So a show like this should draw all of us in. And I think the first trailer, like Reed said, did not do it any kind of justice whatsoever, because I feel like ever since it came out, everybody has been prepared for this show to fail. They've been, they had the bar has been on the floor and everything. But I do just want to say that the pilot was a lot better than I was anticipating it would be. And I was, I was not underestimating it in the way that other people were. It was, I, I, the, I, the thing I struggle with Gotham Knights is that I feel like this could have been a huge hit four or five years ago. I feel like it just kind of missed the boat of the teen drama and superhero yeah. eras on this network. But I do think that the show is still full of potential. And I like that Sabrina said that it's a grower because I, I do agree with that completely. Maybe it could have done a little bit more in its pilot to get us there. But generally, I think that the show still has a lot of potential, particularly because the dynamic of its teen characters, the Gotham Knights, if you will. And I can't wait to see more of that. Again, we were sent the first six episodes, but as we, the way we do things is we review the premiere because that's going to be the first episode that everyone sees. I am going to watch the next five. I can't actually wait to see them because I feel like the show is going to get better as it goes on, which is why I hope people stick with it. It's not the most perfect everything came together on the night kind of of the pilots but generally there's a lot to work with there and I think it will get better as it goes on I just think it needs to find its footing but again it's bigger than the trailer implied it would be it's better than the trailer implied it would be there's a lot of good in there and I feel like with growth that could become a lot of great and it's again at the worst time for a show like this because even the best of shows sometimes will not get the platform they need because the CW and DC are in eras of change. But I'm going to hold that hope that this show can at least have an excellent season long run. I don't know how successful it will be, but I do think it could get there in the end. I'm not the biggest fan of the show yet, but I think I could be by the end of its run. So I'm not, I, I, I don't like to see people heading on the show. I don't like to see people turning against the show and I'm certainly not going to be one of them. I'm a DC fan through and through. I have a lot of hope in the series and I think it could get there by the end of it. So I'm holding out hope for it. I'm about to do something a little blasphemous, uh, but if I had to compare it to another teen superhero drama that was a grower that people ended up falling in love with, I would say Marvel's Running Race. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember I got invested in that show because I had read the comics. So I was going to give it a chance. I remember when I watched the first episode, was not feeling runaways um they had changed a lot there had been a lot of focus on the parents which wasn't something that was they did in the comics and it was a little slower paced uh but I feel like if you're someone who enjoyed Marvel's Runaways if you stuck it out to see the rest of the episodes then if you did the same thing for Gotham Knights you probably will end up falling in love with the show um mm -hmm. it's a type of everyone's dynamics are interesting they play into certain tropes we're used to like Duella is, I mean, she lived up to her name, right? Like she's like capricious and um, mercurial, and, but she's fun. Uh, and Turner, because he's a um, an OC, I know people are already like, we don't care for him, we're writing him off. And, as it, and you could do that. You could decide to do that or you could just give him a chance um, just to see what they decide to do with him. Um, he might end up being a blend of different Batman sons. He might not be. He might be his own new thing. Uh, but I feel like 
writing Gotham Knights off if you're someone who does want to give it a try. Um, maybe if that isn't the move. I For me, I said I wasn't going to watch it again because I just want different things for my television. But I don't think, I think there needs to be room for people to be able to say, that's not for me. But that doesn't necessarily mean that shouldn't be on the air. Mm. Like, I, I wouldn't say that Gotham Knights doesn't deserve to be on the CW. It definitely deserves to be on the CW. It definitely deserves to It feels to have, like a CW show. It feels mm-hmm. like a CW show, a, a, an earlier CW show, which yeah. is interesting. We're very leaning towards, um, I think we, like, we you had said late WV, early CW. Yeah, <laughs> like the early, like 2007 when the CW was still, it's like, you know, like like the early 2000s when we were like, is it the 90s still? Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> That's kind of like the tone of the show when CW was like, we're kind of still the WB, but we're also trying to be this new thing. So it was like, to me, it, it, I was surprised by getting that feeling that I was like, oh, this feels CW mm-hmm. to me, which I was kind of, that was maybe the most shocking part of the show. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I know. I am completely with you on that because an example is like Birds of Prey, which was released in the early 2000s. And there are a lot of similar qualities in this, the like dull Gotham City, the like original story built out of the Batman mythos. Um, Yeah, you know, there's a lot in there that I feel like it's like a blend of different eras. And that's quite interesting because we said the same thing about the Winchesters and Walker Independence. So I just I hope these three pilots don't turn into like the CW's greatest hits tour on the farewell of what it was, because <laughs> there's so much potential. And Gotham Knights has so much potential. And I just I hope people give it a chance because I've given it one chance and I'm ready to move on to the next by watching the next five episodes. And I hope people stick with it because there's a lot to work with there. And it could be one of the most fun shows on, uh, not even the CW, on TV in the same way that Riverdale was. So give it a chance, remove yourself from the situation, go in blind and have a good time with it because that's what I did and I enjoyed it. Mm, I like the aspect of going in blind. It's like leave your DC knowledge at the door (laughs) and just just enjoy the show. This is an Elseworlds story. (laughs) 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 Uh, But moving into uh, Winchester's, uh, which, by the way, I think if you like Winchester's, you probably like Gotham Knights. I don't know mm-hmm. if, that, if we if we were to make a post, it'd be like um, Winchester's Gotham Knights cross audience, just for those who are interested. Um, yeah. But that was a really good episode of the Winchester's. I where was not where have they been? I know. <laughs> <laughs> like it was the most. Um compelling engrossing all of the adjectives it was the best episode in weeks mm-hmm. it was. Yeah, no, in my opinion it's the best episode since the pilot perhaps the best episode of the season it, there is so much like energy and style and mm-hmm. the visuals like this is what i kind of wanted it to be each week it, it was there's just between like the a story and the b story there's just so much fun to look at even if the stories weren't as you know fun it's always a little bit you know that opening (laughs) yeah the unsettling with that clown the clowns the circus ada was in her new orleans or was she even in new orleans i don't know where she was but it was just like so fun and stylized and i was like why'd you save this for the penultimate (laughs) (laughs) when this show was pitched and this show started this is what i thought it was gonna be and honestly i kind of wish maybe they dropped the coherent single storyline and just do like a season of villain of the week episodes because if they could turn out like this and they're not being dragged by down by the slow moving main story 
that could be a heck of fun. And I know that's from an era gone by, but that was an excellent supernatural-like quality episode. And I wish we had more of those from the Winchesters. I mean, if anything, it means it could be heading towards going out on a high, but I would have liked to have seen more of it because that was the Winchesters at its best. It was. It also, if they had put this episode after the Mal's Volta one, um, but like pulled back on some of the John and Mary to make it fit that part, I wouldn't have even blinked an eye. It really does work for the arc of John being, John struggling with his anger mm-hmm. and that spilling out into the case. Um, so when we get returned to him and Mary, I was like, oh, I mean, I understand why he's mad because, you know, he was just accused of murder and he's on the run, but it just felt disconnected from where John had been because he had not been as angry and so now we were really angry and trying to live in the bliss of being on the road with Mary as if we're not a fugitive (laughs) (laughs) no I agree with you totally I feel like if you take maybe one or two story beats out of that storyline this episode could have fit it in anywhere in the season but maybe the fact that it came so late makes you ask questions like that as in where is that where has that come from why is John suddenly like done a 180 and I know the fact that he's obviously been framed for murder and everything's affected him but uh, yeah, I want to say this episode came at the right time, but dare I say it could have come a little quicker? I don't know. But again, I don't want to just go onto the whole, oh, this could have been this or it could have been that. I just want to appreciate this episode for what it was. High sticks, standalone, edge of seat, gimmicky, and more, more than anything, fun. And I think that's what's been missing in some of the more recent episodes. I even like the conflict between John and Mary, as frustrating as it was as like a viewer. Like I, for me, like I don't want to see them fight. I want them to be fine. But like it was exciting to watch like drake and meg played off each other so well in that conflict that it was even though you're like why are they i don't want to see them fight it was like i don't know it was really fun to watch like you know like we know how what's gonna happen so like you can't worry about them too much but like it felt like this conflict was deserved and Mm -hmm. earned a little bit so like when you're watching it you're like oh this is you know this is good stuff um and even in the scenes where like they're trying they're splitting up at the carnival or whatever and that dig john throws in like oh actually i'll go with lata and i was like ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it even as frustrating as it as it is as like a, a shipper i guess mm-hmm. yeah well this episode is really honest um mm-hmm. it was really vulnerable too the and there can be an honesty and anger as well so like because a lot of times you need to be angry in order to say the thing that you haven't been saying and it's I love that they're the main point is they both like basically yelling at each other you're hiding behind me instead of mm-hmm. dealing with what's actually happening in your life and to to be able to be combative with that with somebody that you care for and still be able to be like I'm going to protect you at all costs that's something that works really well for John and Mary especially like I also love how in a way clowns are ridiculous but they're also terrifying and so like we have the terror of actually dealing with our emotions and the terror of the monster of the week who also had trauma from wanting to be able to remain in happiness and how a need to what do they call it toxic ha- uh, toxic happiness toxic positivity mm-hmm. this was an episode about toxic positivity and that's what John was doing and that's what Limbo was doing and there's a there's you have to be able to deal with the negatives in your life and that is what this episode was about 
Mm. And then the fact that it jumped to the end uh, when John was doing everything he was supposed to, even even with the anger holding him back, he he went into that mission with like a clear head. He knew to cover his eyes so that he wouldn't see the mirror. And then that ultimate feeling of defeat when he just turned around and he looked at the wrong mirror and he had the clown makeup on. And just that that moment when the tear came down his face. Oh, that crushed me because like he he had the smile on his face, but he was broken on the inside because it happened and there was no getting away from it. I thought that was very expert use of the merging the overall character's arc with the villain of the week story. It, it worked out really, really well. And I feel like that was the most crushing moment of it all. And it's pretty effective. We have talked about how it's constantly had to be Mary or John saving each other week in, week out, week in, week out. This week it was up to Lata and Carlos to do it. And the fact that all of the stories interconnected at once. There was no subplots in this episode. We got to see them work as a foursome again for the first time in who knows how long. Mm-hmm. And they came through for them. They were the they were the MVPs of this episode. You also got to see the perspectives on John at Mary's argument. You got to go back to some of those original dynamics that were fun. Like John and Lata had a really nice friendship. And of course, Mary and Carlos knew each other for a long time, but there was that kind of awkward tension. So we got to explore all of that in one episode. So in a way, I do see why this was left at the penultimate episode, because you got to deal with all of that at the same time. But it also reminded me of what we were missing throughout the season, because you got some of them great dynamics that we didn't get in so so long but generally there was just so much in there and I really appreciate it that no subplots the main story and all of the characters got a moment or fit too to shine there are a lot of little moments that I love too like uh, uh, to your point the Mary and Carlos scene where they're going through the the carnival and I think they're talking about John and she just like she spins around and like starts crying into Carlos and he's uncomfortable and I was like, Mary, I know you're not crying. Like, this <laughs> seems like the fake. I was like, what? This is so weird and out of character. I kind of liked it. And then I like, I, I was like, okay, you're on your Nancy Drew tea. <laughs> <laughs> I love that she was like, there's somebody following us. And I was like, Mary, <laughs> that's my girl. <laughs> Carlos was horrible at like not like, looking at what she say um, at his one o'clock or something. And mm-hmm. he just, he immediately gave up. Um, what they were doing. I was like, Carlos, be stealthier. Be stealthier. (laughs) (laughs) I also loved in the beginning, uh, John eating that sandwich. Like, I need to see the behind the scenes of that because I know that was just Drake eating a sandwich. (laughs) He's like, it's an amazing sandwich too. And I was looking at that thing. I was like, it's not. I don't see what might be roast beef and some mayonnaise. There's nothing else in the sandwich. (laughs) We're overcompensating here, John. (laughs) It was really funny though. It was. I think that this, what is this episode does well, um, besides getting to the nitty gritty, is there is some levity to it. Mm. And there's like, it doesn't lean into their ridiculousness, ridiculousness, but I love how Carlos and Lata save the day inside a clown car as they talk to a clown child who misses his brother. <laughs> and <that is> how... <laughs> and then, but it's like, it's really, it's serious business and it's serious acting. And you know, it has to be skilled, it's skilled writing and it's skilled acting because the whole scenario ridiculous like oh, yeah. just was, did they though. know that that was the way to like break the curse spell or whatever or was that just like luck on carlos's part i'm willing to suspend my disbelief i don't i really don't care but like it, I, in the moment i was like did they know or was that just like carlos was like i can do this there was a moment in the hotel when they're looking through the books and this is where i had to suspend disbelief because apparently no one's ever gotten out of limbo's tent but somehow they know how to defeat limbo but so the, <laughs> the so 
in one of the books it says that in order to defeat limbo you have to convince someone that he's captured to face their sadness because the whole point is for them to um for him to get rid of their sadness by forcing them to be happy and content the entire time so if you make a victim confront it it kills him and i was like but no one's escaped the tent so how <laughs> do you know <laughs> that's a really interesting laura because it's like then the bigger his army grows the more vulnerable he gets because there's more people you can convince i knew that when they were talking to the child that they knew if they broke the spell, he would get out and Limbo would get weaker. I didn't think that that poor client was just going to turn into dust and then melt in front of everyone. <laughs> I was like, whoa, this escalated quickly. But no, I to your point, I completely agree. It was they were trapped in a clown car while basically surrounded by the walking dead dressed like clowns. And then you had room for this really poignant moment in the middle of that. It all came together really, really nicely. But like to spend your disbelief really paid off because like that was a really nice moment. It was. And pairing that with Ada's plot was mm. interesting too. I, I'm not a supernatural watcher, so I don't know who Rowena is, um, but the acting was fine and I loved her accent. Uh, but, Spooky poker. I was into yes. it. <laughs> and it was, to be, we didn't get to see which kind yet. So to see um, Ada, who's usually confident, out of her element and a bit insecure in trying to prove herself um, was interesting. I love that new layer to her character. And I really didn't like that they shamed her for being an earth witch as it, she can kill you with a vine. Why are you mocking her for it? <laughs> yeah, and it's, again, this is what really make, makes me wonder what we kind of missed throughout the season because how many episodes have we gone without Ada? Have we even seen her since the mid-season premiere a couple of weeks ago? You know what I mean? Um, like, how is that a series regular character? Um, I So I just, I wish we kind of learned more about her because she was kind of came across as like the veteran of the group. And now she, in this episode, you saw that she felt inexperienced. She wasn't confident in herself. And that's a lot of rich stuff to work with. And now we learn that she may be the MVP to defeating the Akrita. And you're like, that's a big reach in a couple of episodes, but I mean, we'll roll with it because I really like the character of, uh, character of Era, but I just wish we got to spend a little more time with those because that's a really interesting character arc for her. If this had been a 22 episode season, we would have, she probably would have been absent for like four episodes. Then we would have gotten maybe like an Ada standalone episode where mm -hmm. we sure. see what she had been up to and it would have just been her episode. Um, and it would have, you know, it would have worked a little bit better than just like tossing her back in. We're like, oh, you're back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like I have been worried about her for four weeks, but you know, no news is good news, I guess. They haven't mentioned her. So I was like, okay, whatever. Um, but yeah, I think if they had more time, it would have worked a little bit better. Because yeah, I don't think in a 13 episode season, you can, you can take John and Mary out of the equation and just mm -hmm. focus on a, a supporting character. I don't think you can do that with this many, this few episodes. It would have been like a major risk, even though the way that they balanced it this episode, they probably could have had her at least be the B-plot in one yeah. of the episodes, uh, especially because the, when they bring her back, we're hitting the ground running. I mean, by the end of the episode, she's got a whole, I might have to sacrifice a piece of myself in order to stop the Akrita. And I was like, well, girl, we just got you back. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's a lot to care about all at once. Yeah. Uh, but I do like I do care about it though. Like I'm interested to see where we go in the finale, um, and whether or not she actually will end up using um the stone she was given. I will say, and I know we said this last pod, the dean of it all. Like I get why he wasn't in this episode, but like they had alluded that they were on the hunt for him. 
And then he was, then we just didn't deal with him at all. And we had this really great clown plot. And so now yeah. are we dealing with him in the finale? Is or is he still in the photos? Like, that's what I want to know. Mm. It's it's interesting because it feels like Ada's kind of become the MVP or the secret weapon to destroying the Akrita. And that's what they were kind of building Dean up to be. So I hope it's not the case of that um, Ada gets three quarters through her plan and she can't completed or whatever and then Dean shows up and saves the day in the last few minutes because if they were going to do that I wish they hadn't like taken us by the hand to that point because now we know we, something's going to happen with Dean in the finale because they set us up with the the photos they were talking about it at the start of this episode and then completely shifted gears he wasn't mentioned again if he just shows up in the finale now it's going to feel like a bit of a letdown because we knew it was going to happen to begin with Whereas I wish, I wish they would have just dropped that subplot altogether and then surprised us with it in the finale, if that makes sense. Or just let Ada shine because we don't know what she's been up to. Like, show us how strong she actually is. Uh, I think that would have been a better send-off. I'm not going to judge beforehand, but I just feel like there's been so much happening. I'm really excited to see how it ends because of how strong this episode was. I just hope they don't have too much to work with in only 40 minutes. I hope so. I mean, it looks like it's based on the promo, it looks like it's going to be exciting. And um, if I'm correct, we saw John in uniform. So maybe we're flashing back to when he's given the letter about his mm. about um, his dad's secret life. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it is going to be, I hope they stick their landing. I feel like if they stick their landing, this whole season, viewing-wise, would have been really worth it. You know, to have felt mm-hmm. like you'd been on this journey with them, and yeah, it had struggles, but there were a lot of high moments too. And w- I would want a season two. Yeah, this is the episode that I was like, you know what, season two, I'm back in. Because <laughs> <laughs> for a while, I was like, I'd be okay if it ended after one season. It would suck because I love this cast, but like this episode, I was like, no, they still got gas in the tank. Let's, mm-hmm. you know, let's mm-hmm. give them a shot. Yeah. So I mean, if CW doesn't want them, shop it. Yeah, just to shop the show. I feel like it could find a home somewhere, even with low viewership. Um, because to be fair to the other CW shows, low low viewership is the name of the game. Even the golf is suffering. (laughs) (laughs) And these shows are remarkable worldwide. I feel like a supernatural spinoff would be so manifesting a season two, even if it's a season full of filler episodes. Because if they're anything like that one, I take it. And also, Mo, you have your orders. Well, at least you have a bullet point. Wait for more bullet points. Just <laughs> <laughs> uh, but as for speaking of episodes that sort of redeemed a season, uh, The Flash, episode four. Michael, I'll let you start. I mean, you think I'm going to start talking about the Red Death, but nobody wants to talk about the Red Death. We need to talk about the main event of the storyline. Baby <laughs> Jenna is back. We have not seen that child in five years, but she is back. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> baby Jenna, Joe and Cecile's child, who showed up as a baby like five seasons ago, and they talk about her all the time. Now, now that baby has turned into a fully grown child, and like it all happened off screen. Baby Jenna you know finally showed up. Let me mind my business. You guys yeah. talk. Well, Jenna's probably like, what, preschool age? We're at preschool, yeah. if not going to kindergarten at this, at this point. Surprise. <laughs> um, we'll get to that, don't worry. Um, but wow, 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 wow. So fine. So happy to finally have an episode focusing solely on the Red Death. Javicia Leslie. Oh my goodness. What a performance. Um, it's it's great to get to, first of all, know more about this villain because I... I feel like next week's going to be the last time we see her. I don't like these graphic novels. I don't like these graphic novels. I want full season stories. Um, And I feel like they're finally hitting the ground running with the storyline. And now we're going to lose it next week. But my, oh my, did they hit the ground running with this episode? 
uh, arguably the best episode of the season. It depends on whether you like the fun of the premiere or the more serious side in this uh, storyline. So we let you make that choice. The two in between, the two episodes in between do not compare to the, the first and the fourth. But um, what an excellent episode. It was just great to finally learn more about the villain. Uh, we finally learned. I like how they adapted the storyline so that this version of the Red Death is very much like the comic book version. They wanted to destroy their villains once and for all. However, they started using the Flash of Super Speed to preempt when they were going to be villains. So if they so made so much as one bad decision, they toss them in Iron Heights so they never get the chance to turn into a villain, which that's not fair. You're robbing people off their futures. So that made total sense why this version of Batwoman, um, the Red Death in her timeline. She's from a different timeline. Read by the way, we finally learned that she's not from a different Earth. She's from Jenna? a different timeline. No, it should be the Red <laughs> Death. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to follow. Okay, continue. Uh, there's too much going on. That would be a um, plot twist, though. <laughs> that's why Jen is the main event of the story. No, um, but um, she's uh, the Red Death is from a different timeline, and uh. Barry in her timeline tried to stop her from stealing his speed and uh, putting villains in prison before they'd done anything wrong. Um, which, and according to the Red Death, she was best friends with Iris. And when the Flash turned on her, she tried to throw a lightning bolt to stop him and the lightning bolt killed Iris instead. So in this episode, the Red Death has shown up at our Iris's front door and is trying to appeal to her to get to get Barry to give her his lightning so that she can use the cosmic treadmill to open a breach back to her timeline so she, she can she can go back. Um Cosmic uh, Treadmill's a really good band name. Sorry, I just <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> wow, from Windy and the Winchesters of the Cosmic Treadmill. <laughs> um uh, but yeah, I have to say I, I I've talked too much explaining, but the point is there was a lot of storyline in this episode and I feel like they had to make up for how slow the story's been moving up until this point. But we really got it in this episode and I'm really glad we did. And I also, as a lifelong Batman fan, I just want to say they've turned the Red Death into a walking Batman one-liner and, you know, I'm here for it. Last week she said Robert Pattinson's I Am Vengeance. This week she said um, the Batman the Animated Series is I Am Vengeance, I Am the Knight. And then instead of I Am Batman, she said I Am the Red Death. And my personal favourite, when Iris decided not to help her, she said the iconic Michael Keaton line from Batman 89, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. And oh my goodness. I know ever. Michael turned into that Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he was like pointing at the screen. <laughs> yes. He was like, oh my God. <laughs> oh, I was, I tell you, I they was so happy. They did that just for you. <laughs> they did, they did. And it was followed by such an epic suit up of the Red Death because, oh, Sabrina, we have to talk about the scene where the Red Death armor took its helmet off and there was no head there. I uh, wasn't oh, ready. Was I was terrifying. not what I thought when they were going to get that. <laughs> Ryan, and then I was like, no, no, she's like the headless horseman out here. Yeah. Just nothing in that suit. <laughs> Throughout the whole scene, I was like, where's the head? Where's the head? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so great. I think your I personally, I think this is my favorite episode. Um, and, and I would rank this season opener as the second. I think that might just have to do with there's a little bit more action in the scene. Um, I think the plots were more balanced for everybody if that makes sense um but also it's just because Javicia Leslie was having an absolute time like her best she's living her best life as a super villain um and I know some people are going to be like oh parts of it were like, eh. I was like but that's the point 
she is supposed to be unhinged. And mm-hmm. so the further we get into the episode, the more like chaotic so that she gets. And it's just, I'm willing to go on a ride with her with this. I mean, she the she was screaming and her body was flailing. She had the big, when she said, let's go nuts, her eyes got wide. And then we had the armor scene. She truly was. I, I didn't buy her story that she was selling to Iris at all, and neither did Iris, of course. But um, Ryan, <laughs> Ryan was giving it her all. Neither did Iris, of course. That that killed me. <laughs> <laughs> you said it like you and Iris are like talked about it. You're like, we know. <laughs> I love it. Um, wait, I have a question. Is this her only episode to this year? She has next week too. next week as well oh fun mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah it's definitely gonna be fun so like the when i mean that she's unhinged it's that like so this woman shows up on iris's doorstep like with a little scar like i got cut <laughs> can you bandage <laughs> me up and like she's trying to sell this story that she had been basically robbed by the red death out in the palisades <laughs> and she had to drive back to um gotham and then had to drive to star city and Iris is sitting there like, so you got you got jacked for all your stuff. You came all the way here instead of checking in with your team to tell me about a villain who jacked all your stuff. Why are you here? Yeah. <laughs> and so when she opens, and she's like, give it, she's telling the story, she's giving it. And then she makes her fatal mistake is when she opens the fridge and gets some creamer because um, Iris knows uh ryan's never been in this house so why is she so comfortable just going in there and getting creamer out my fridge she's not like she's not that type of person <laughs> so just feel like you know i've never been here but let me just raid your fridge or something like that's not who ryan is mm-hmm. so that's when they have their their moment and and i also get goes get the gun because she stays ready all the time oh yeah I will say Ryan did hand it to her though after like they got through their story she um it's like a hair shoulder twist thing and she just shoves her to the floor and I was like oh but I wanted to see them fight they did not do that (laughs) I wanted to see some hand-to-hand combat in the middle of the apartment um but I love um Candace Patton and Janice Leslie together in this scene they're so dynamic and um I think it really worked that this Iris has a friendly rapport with Ryan but not a best friendship so she's able to see the holes in in the story that Ryan is giving and um I will say stop killing Iris <laughs> there's no reason Iris who dies <laughs> and this is, this is another one who dies so I just I really appreciated what this this episode had to offer even if I don't really care about Mark and his potential death mm. No, I mean, I'm glad Joe then tried to redeem himself a little bit. I, I, my favorite part of his whole redemption arc was when um, Captain Boomerang was like, no, let's not kill the Flash. Instead, let's find out who he is under that mask. I'm like nine seasons in. The, the, Wait, the... no one knows who the Flash is? Well, um, Captain Boomerang doesn't because he's a bad guy. Um, okay. But that's what I like that because you would have seen that in the old 60s Batman show. You would have seen that in any time. We're nine seasons in here and the fact that the Flash's true identity might be revealed has sticks. It shouldn't have sticks because Barry's out here telling everybody under the sun who, <laughs> who he really is. But like it had some sticks. But Chilblain stepped up, even though he's working with the bad guys. He was like, oh, I wouldn't touch his cow because you'll get 50,000 volts and be fried to death. Um, so he he did he stepped up for Barry in that moment, and that's when Barry seen that he did have some potential. He was worth saving, and in the end, 
He did. He overpowered um, the Cosmic Treadmill when the Red Death tried to get the Flash to use it, so all the energy came back into the Red Death. So the Red Death can't get home. So in the end of the episode, she went crazy, and we think Chilblain died. He didn't. But we think Chilblain died because uh, he sacrificed himself to get Barry home. Oh, and also the rest of the rogues turned up. We got to see the hotness. We got to see Goldface. We got to see Pied Piper. They showed up just to save the Flash and bring him home. They had no purpose in this episode other than that. Um, So uh, the whole rogue war thing is carrying on. But the, they did. They had a little bit of gravity for Mark's potential death. They said, um, I like that Barry was... Like, I'm, I'm trying to appeal to the Red Death's uh, sense of justice and be like, oh, you're a good person underneath that mask, even though I don't know who you are. That was a bit like being there than that before. But I get the fact that he tried to, uh, that he was there, he was worried about Mark because Mark did have potential and then he turned himself well, into Is the Mark bad guy. Is Mark Yes. Yes. Um, his, yes. I believe. I don't know why I, I assumed that Chilblain's name was like Blaine. Yeah, his, that's a surname, I think. <laughs> Chilblain is his last name. No, Blaine is a surname. Oh. So Mark Blaine. <laughs> <laughs> you guys gotta let me stop asking questions. <laughs> I forgot that until the Red Death referred to him as Blaine last night. I was like, oh, oh, now I got it. Um, but yeah, but speaking of Chilblain's death. The Chilagra moment afterwards. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. Um, it seems like they try to shoehorn some of these things into oh, episodes where they don't need to, like, they could have sat on the bench for a week. No one, happened. like, no, <laughs> no one come for me, but that's just an outsider's perspective. <laughs> no, everyone agrees. I, yeah, I'm a, Michael, please tell him what happened, what she did after she thought this man was dead. <laughs> so Allegra's the one who can like teleport. So they showed up to the place, got the flash and teleported back right as Chilblain was being killed in front of them. So Allegra was pretty scarred that she had to do that. Um, And then she decided to go over to Chester, who was sitting on his chair doing whatever it is Chester does. And um, <laughs> she, she said um, they've been ignoring each other ever since they kissed in the premiere, apparently. And uh, she said, now I'm finally ready to talk about how we feel. You know, Mark's death just reminded me, like tears in her eyes because she just watched a man die. Mark's death just reminded me that we don't have so much time. So now is the time to like, let's talk. Let's talk about us with the biggest smile on her face. And then even Chester, who was pretty heartbroken, was like, and then it said, and it was like, no, 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 no. We can't do this right now. It's the wrong time to do this. We need to stop the red death. We need to grieve Mark. Um, and then afterwards, We'll talk about it. And I mean, that's probably the right response. It, just, it felt completely out of place. And I think that was the second to last scene before the credits rolled. And I'm like, we're doing a part one here about the Red Death. And this is what we're giving us. No, that wasn't necessary at all. Um, I don't mind Chester and Allegra. I did kind of like smile when they finally got together in the first episode. But now we're going to do a full season of, eh, that was a mistake before they inevitably end up together again. So they're going around in circles here. It seems um, early to make yeah. that kind of like... YOLO. <laughs> Move. <laughs> well, I don't think they also really shouldn't be able they won't they because they've been one for a full season now. So there was really no need for them to do that. I also thought that it just dis- it detracted from the very heavy-handed message that they had in the episode, which is that um everyone's life has value. And there is always a possibility to redeem yourself and um get a second chance, even if that results in your potential death. Uh I did get that that was the message. I feel like it's clunky, right? Like the, the Barry doesn't always need to be, I can save you through the power of positivity. Like we don't need to, to, to do that all the time. I get why it was in this episode, but I think it's also it 
sort of cheapens the work that some of the criminals and villains had already done to better themselves by being like, you know, Frost tried to kill me, but people make mistakes. And I'm just like, that's not a mistake, Barry. People, <laughs> people <laughs> make choices. They make bad decisions. And then they regret those choices. That is what happened with Frost. She regretted the person that she was and she made measures to be a better person. Again, there, there's work in that. It can't just be, I told you you can be a good person, therefore you are, right? Mm-hmm. There, has, there has to be inspiration for it. And I, I think that's what worked well for Mark's arc. Not that I felt bad for him. I did think Hartley was a real one. He was like, uh, we have to go. <laughs> and he just <laughs> pulled them all away so they could go back to um, the Flash Lab. And like, that was a real decision. I think I like the Flash has done this before as far as like, no, they don't want to leave a person behind. But sometimes you have to recognize you have to. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted them to sort of deal with the weight of that, but they didn't because we had Chalegra things to do. Um. <laughs> Wait, these themes kind of seem similar to Walker Independence, not to like change the subject, but like you just said two things. I was like, that's like Walker Independence. And then you said the other thing. I was like, that's like Walker Independence. Too. <laughs> yes, but Wendy does it better. Wendy is less clunky. Wendy, <laughs> Wendy, lets the, the, um, Wendy lets the episodes grow and the characters take their time as they develop rather than first episode, I'm redeemed, I'm new. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Cousin Strive. <laughs> uh, but last point about Flash. Um, Michael, did you feel like they resolved the Joe plot? Do we feel like he's settled um, that the Jenna almost getting hit by the stray speed lightning bolt uh, was, and um, Cecile being able to save their daughter and then rushing to go save everybody else out on the street, that that was the end of his story? Or was he just appeasing Cecile and we're going to get at least one more Joe freak out before um, Jesse L. Martin's time is done? Yeah, we think he's only going to have five episodes and he's been in three so far. So how are they going to write Joe out? Maybe will he decide that it's his problem so he needs to leave? I don't know. I I saw the mechanics in that storyline. You know, you knew as soon as Cecile was there to protect her daughter, Joe was either going to be like, say, the city isn't safe, or he was going to be like, you're a hero. We are safe with you. Clearly it was the latter. I feel like it's a predictable outcome, but... It was also a little unpredictable because I genuinely thought they were going to write Joe out here. Something's going to have to happen because they said they were coming up with a storyline to write him out because he's only going to be in like five episodes. I think we know he's going to be back in the series finale. So does that mean he's only going to be in one more episode between now and then? How are they going to keep Joe off screen for that long? So, I mean, it was fine. Again, I think that the acting between them two carries that storyline for me because I don't necessarily see it as it from a story standpoint but it was great performances from Jesse L. Martin and Danielle Nicolette in that scene and I have to say that I prefer Cecile when she does serious stuff I'm glad we're doing more of that because I felt her emotions in that scene it, it was pretty cool seeing her stop the glass and being all 11 about it um I know based on um Jenna's drawing I know Cecile is going to end up getting a suit and be the hero by the end of the season and I feel like that's probably the point of this arc, but I don't know how they're going to write Jesse L. Martin out at this point because he's only one more episode between now and the finale. So what's going to happen? Is he going to be written out next week? Is he going to decide, I'm going to take the baby and go, you need to stay and be a hero? I don't know. It was fine. I, I, like I said, I saw the mechanics at work. That's all I can really say about that. Mm, I feel the same. I kind of want him to take Jenna and go. I kind of want him to make the same decision his, um, his ex-wife did. Though I think she was mm. tossed out by him. But to, to decide that she was going to stay away. 
um, and that she needed to work on herself. And um, having Wally changed her perspective on life, even if it meant uh, like abandoning um, Joe and Iris. I kind of want him to be on the other side of a choice like that mm-hmm. and see what it means um, and, and why you would choose to protect your child in that way. Um, and why, how it's difficult to go back the longer that you're away. Uh, I don't know. I just wanted there to be stakes in Jesse's last storyline. And there would only really be stakes if um, Jill makes the choice that's controversial, mm. the choice that's hurtful. And then Cecile has to deal with that the rest of the season until they bring him back. That makes total sense. And it would be a serious storyline for her as well. I don't know. I didn't mind it, but it, it's not my favorite storyline for either one of them. No, not at all. But, you know, still, great episode. Even with that awesome. storyline. <laughs> <laughs> We're moving uh, in the right direction. They are moving in the right direction. I mean, they have to. It's the final season. Like, mm. you got to give us a <laughs> Get there uh, eventually. Get there eventually. Uh, but to circle back to Wendy, the, the show of this television season that we just truly, truly adore, uh, how did we feel about this little anthology they anthology they gave us for the characters? I loved it. Like I usually, I think some shows, everyone loves a good flashback origin story. Not everybody can pull it off. This mm, was true. masterful, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. And the fact that I, this is interesting that the, the Winchesters at Wendy had like a, such a standalone episode as this penultimate one, but like the fact that there were such high stakes at the beginning of this episode and obviously at the end of the last one leading right into that. And I love the transition then just as it went into the flashback as Gus went into the uh, barn and you were like, I didn't annoy me in the slightest because you're instantly then into like the, the origins of these character stories. And it was so such like an island in the middle of everything else going on. And I didn't really mind that we weren't going to get the continuation. Of course, we did get some continuation at the end. So that was a bit of a gift at that point. But like learning about Kate and Callian and Goss and their origins is something we never thought we'd see because this story, Walker Independence has been independence through Abby's eyes. And this was a completely different spin on it and an excellent one at that. And I think it works as the penultimate too, because we've spent so much time caring for the, we we've, gotten to know these characters we care about them if they had tried to do this like episode five it's like okay we don't really care about most of them at this point to really be invested in how they all landed here and how their dynamics all came into play like it works as like the the extra little like here's some details you need before getting into this finale i think it worked really well yeah and it it did need to be towards the end because of the way that we're introduced to these backstories through Gus's letters to his late wife um I think you're right if it had been like episode five as much as we had cared about Gus at that point it doesn't give the same weight as um when we had learned in the um episode when Callie went to go see his sister that Gus had lost his wife and then they made us wait and they brought the, her, the the ghost of her, the absence of her back to give this really emotional story of him basically having to walk away from the life that he knew. Um, not only when he had left the Buffalo Soldiers, um, but like his excitement about writing to his family, right? That he was on this new Western adventure. I think he wanted to send for them, right? And then to find out that he, he was not going to be able to do that and then to have to reinvent himself the way that everybody else reinvents themselves in independence i was like oh because i already loved you but i love you even more now 
um, and the how heartbreaking that is and how everybody's story has a little bit of heartbreak in it. Like that's what sent them all right into independence or staying in independence as far as heart go it goes. I did not expect his mama to be um a grifter, but I love that she is a grifter and that the hat he wears is hers. That's that really a, a, yeah, it's so yeah. touching. So we, we think, you know, we we see Hoyt as, you know, who he is. He's like this bad boy, renegade, like happy go lucky, nothing really gets to him. And then we see what he's kind of what kind of helped made him what he's been maybe running from a little bit mm -hmm. um the vulnerability the little the scared little boy that's inside of this like tough exterior that was really great i think too yeah we we learned more about what's driving him and i've always said i love the fact that Hoyt was very much presented in the opening episodes as this kind of like outlaw who just kind of like got by and he didn't have much of a conscience but dare we say is one of the biggest hearts of anyone on the show and you saw that's been teased as it's gone on but now you really get to see what how he ended up in that life what drove him to it and like what's what continues to drive him forward his love for his mother and just how that life he, he loved life on the road he loved life uh, on the run and he i don't i think obviously that shaped him so much that he never really got away from it but the fact that he still feels like he's he's doing it for her in a way we never really find out what happened to her I I don't believe or like the outcome of that so it was just it made it all the more poignant because we've all kind of heard about Hoyt and he's kind of become the like the butt of a lot of the jokes in the show but there's some real powerful stuff driving him forward and I really appreciate it learning about it what and did we think of his scene with Jared can we talk about that please? <laughs> it's <laughs> funny in the fact that I think it was supposed to be funny but it was also kind of yikes <laughs> like at, at times it's just really there so jared can get a get a cameo yeah it was a little distracting mm -hmm. i didn't dislike it i thought it was fine it was a little distracting though i don't know if it added a whole bunch mm. it was yeah. When you think of Westerns, you think of shootouts. And I think when, when we thought of Hoyt at the beginning, we thought of shootouts. So I feel like this was the purpose of that show as Origin, that you have one of those like old-fashioned Western shootouts, who's going to fire first and who's going to fall. And I mean, it did exactly what it said on the 10. I don't know if it did anything else for the episode, but... <laughs> is it, well, I guess, is that the train he said that he had robbed? Because there's this, there's a train he keeps referencing, and it's happened to several different episodes in which he he completed a heist and he's very proud of that. Mm. I wonder if that's the train because they were there to supposedly work together, but Hoyt didn't trust him, and it was good he didn't. Turns out Jared's character was a was a lawman, so he was probably going to end up getting arrested anyway. Um, I wonder if that is. I can't remember if that's the train he robbed, and so that was like a little mm. not like a little Easter egg, but a little callback to um what what Hoyt had been talking about yeah that's true the the you look familiar or like I feel like I've seen you before line was a little bit okay <laughs> <laughs> we know <laughs> he, he, he looks familiar I was kind of disappointed that it didn't add to like the I was really look you know me I was looking forward to the how I met your great 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 grandfather's mm -hmm. arc and I was like oh I was so excited when they had Jared in the preview and I was like oh we're gonna get some like a new layer and we did not <laughs> but I mean, it, that's fine. I don't mind. That's fine. The story you continues. Know, <laughs> you know, it'd be funny though if they decide, like, say, to get a season two or later down the line or something. Turns out that lawman had a twin, <laughs> 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 or he didn't die or something. Yeah. <laughs> 
and that's how we get um the answer to who started who who Ali's baby daddy is. Um, but one thing I like about Hoyt Hoy also is his loyalty because his relationship with Kai is so sweet. The way he just pops in and he, I think he gives him money, right? And then he, uh, then he asks him, like, do you know how to make a preacher's outfit? And I was like, ha <laughs> the job that he's about yep. to like nearly <laughs> got over. Um, I, I love the little seeds into the, uh, into the pilot episode when we had met mm. everybody. But I do have to say, why is the ticket to this town? Everyone has to experience loss of a loved one. Because I think every single yeah. one of them lost somebody they loved. I guess that's what brings them together in this community. Mm. Or these, at least these five six people i don't know um that's what i guess bands them together mm. I, but even with these kinds of episodes i feel like they can be retroactive like be like oh we need to make an origin story so let's kind of like piece all these things together that we've already written and it felt very natural like they could have put mm -hmm. this episode like in front of the pilot and mm. like they had planned this like they knew how these characters got here it wasn't just like oh let's you know go back in time and fabricate a story of how Kate got here. Like it was very much already ingrained in the story. Mm. Yeah, that was one of my favorite things about it. It was very much a flashback episode so that you saw the characters' origin stories, but about midway through it turned into a pilot origin story and that you saw the seeds being led as to how we got closer to the pilot because, of course, uh, we learned... Um, what was the other story? Um, oh, yeah, of course, Tom. Um, uh, you Did saw... we talk about his exactly, origin? That yeah. was like the most shocking one. And I was like... <laughs> Okay, the fans must have been going feral, like baby girl, <laughs> like there he is. <laughs> I know, I was like, oh. the whole season we've like, please do not make me like Tom. And then they were just like, he's been the sweet one this whole time. He's but, like, so down bad for Abby. Like, is this just... the reveal that he's known who she is the entire time? Yeah. Is this yeah. the reveal? Oh, mm -hmm. Frustrating in a good way, but I was just like <laughs> screaming the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, I know, because it's like, she's, uh, so he, he, he doesn't know by the signs of things that she's investigating him, but he knew she was lying to keep her secret. And when they find the fake Mary Collins body, he was happy to go along with it and confirm that so that they could move on from that story. So he, has he been protecting her the whole time, just like he was protecting her in the pilot? Well, pre-pilot. Maybe. I mean, he's such a romantic though. The man fell in love by hearing her first. He, yeah. liked how she, he liked how feisty she got about not wanting to leave her stuff behind. And then he saw her face. And then he saw like the the items that she had. I think he picked up a what a Jules Verne novel. Was that 80 Days Around the World? Yeah. Um and then he was flipping through and he even he like earmarked the page. And I was like, oh no, he's gonna be gone so fast. He likes her too too fast, too quickly. And um and then he's just like like a stalker. <laughs> watching watching her and falling even more in love and then of course his little brother has to say something about it which Shane was like that feral child who just <laughs> won't like let things go he's like if you're not gonna do it then I'll do it I was like you're not the brains of this operation please stay by the campfire but we still don't know who pulled the trigger right mm -mm. we don't the show refuses to tell us I, I think it's gonna probably end up being taught I want I think they want us to fall in love with the idea of him and Abby, and then snatch it all away. Is yeah, if I recall the pilot correctly, someone shot Liam and then had very bad misdirection when it came to Abby, is because they like shot around her multiple times or whatever, and obviously didn't kill her. And it makes me wonder if Tom was doing the job, but 
intentionally trying not to kill Abby, if you know what I mean, because I feel like now he's turned from like serious villain into potentially a misguided hero who actually is the villain of the piece so that he still followed through and killed Liam, but he may not he you know what I mean he was assigned to kill Abby as well but maybe he didn't so it's going to be very interesting because I believe at the end of the last episode was it not um the brother who shied at he's the killer so we don't we still don't know there's still an awful lot of misdirection here but then at the end they just left per Gus who potentially is he dead is he alive he better not be or I'm I know I hope not I hope he's not dead I don't think he will be but I hope not. <laughs> that's I all know. I have to say. <laughs> I think he's hanging on for dear life. But like, I mean, that's what I would hope. Um, it made me, I I was live tweeting. So like when I, I had just said that I was invested <laughs> in this dark romance. Like I wanted to work out even if he did kill Liam. And then that happened with Gus. And I was like, I take it back. Gus <laughs> <laughs> dies, I take it all the way back. Um, but I think someone has to remember poor Gus someone's got to save him from that barn and and, and probably Callian yeah maybe he was out there and heard the gunfire we can hope oh I hope so I really do I because I think there's just the way that all these characters care about one another is just amazing and it would make sense for it suddenly be like pistols at dawn over Mm -hmm. Tom because of Gus and because of what Abby found in the cabin Mm. and that the preview for the finale is giving that like we have Callian on a roof with his arrow and we've got Abby going full like I don't even know she's got a gun she does and she is ready to tear in to Tom and I'm ready if to the whole it. if the whole 42 minutes is just that I think it would be the most gripping episode of television mm-hmm. of the year yeah. I'm sorry the last of us but <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh... No, I, I can't argue with that in the slightest. I said the show feels like it's heading towards a big showdown and that's one of the most masterful things it's done. Never has it felt like it's wasted a moment and that generally might have made the slow, show a little bit slower moving, but I feel like the payoff will be worth it. The show has never once let me down and I don't feel like it's going to do that in the finale. I, I'm not ready for it to end, but at the same time, I can't wait to see how the season does. Season, I said, not series. I know, because... Um... There's still so much with these characters. I, I still know they gave us glimpses of what happened with Kate in Baltimore, but there wasn't a lot there. We just know that she left, she lost someone mm-hmm. that she cared for. And that's not her running here. And that's how she met Hagen and how she found a home um, with the girls here, the dancers. So I'm like, okay, but I'm not done with Kate. I'm not done with Hoyt. I'm not done with Abby. I'm not even done with Tom, like, mm-hmm. or Gus or Callium. Like, we can't leave independence yet. Like, CW don't make us leave. Mm-mm, mm-mm, definitely no. not. I'm putting on permanent residence and independence. <laughs> <laughs> but the good thing is that we do have like a bit of news. Um, the showrunner did say that, you know, he's like, I can't talk about it, but we have options. <laughs> so, they, <laughs> so they will shop it. Yeah, it does seem more viable. Um, I know everybody wanted the, you know, the 11 shows that got canceled last year to find a new home, but it seems more viable for a, a first season show to find a new home. It seems cheaper, at least in my mind. So mm-hmm. it does seem like there's a little bit more hope for these, at least two shows. True. Well, and they built if, the stage for independence. Like everything is like literally there in Santa Fe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, we paid for. Manifesting a season two. And four and three, <laughs> <laughs> all of it, all of it. Uh, but uh, moving to Horseshoe Bay, 
We did a double. This is what I've been waiting for. This yeah. <laughs> the whole episode has been land- leading yeah. toward this for me. We made, we made you <laughs> act, but we're here. <laughs> you go, lead. You go first. I, I don't. Where do we begin? These are. Uh, I know every week I just start with like I love the show. <laughs> it's just we have Nancy going just you know tunnel visioned on getting Everett and bringing him down so much so that she's kidnapped him in Lucy Sable's house. <laughs> <laughs> Full circle. Yes. Oh, she's like, I'm taking you to the scene of the crime, my man. And oh, she is just dead set. And she had time for an impeccable outfit too. She really looked was she's exceptional. And I was like, I'm you look so good. And I'm also so scared of you right now because and Everett should be too. I like that the um the two uh, Kennedy McMahon, I'm sorry, I don't know Everett's actor's name, but the two of them were just masterclass. Mm-hmm. Straighten off of one another. I, it was just like I just cannot care for Everett. But like he's such a delicious villain. Like yeah. he just like even rumpled and bruised and looking at um is his granddaughter who we just learned that's his granddaughter. That man acts as if he's on a throne. And he doesn't so, have cuffs on. So steely, giving her nothing. No, emotionless. He learned his wife died and he's like, I didn't do it. And it's like, can you show some shred of emotion, guy? <laughs> like, what's happening? And it's like, he did not have control in that situation. And yet he conducted himself, Aunt Nancy, as though he did have control of the situation. Absolutely glorious moment when she said, don't I'm not what was it your side I'll take your silence as a yes and then he threw that back at her a few moments later and I was like oh he, he knows how to get himself out of the situation oh, yeah, was that when she stopped the recording yeah yeah, yeah she, she she gave <laughs> up at the, because she's like the, the Nancy Drew approach or uh, is it the Nancy Drew approach can we call it that she went into darker territory whatever kind of route she was going was not working on him he he was a different kind of evil than the supernatural threat she's dealt with. And she didn't know how to burrow through that. And I just thought that was, the, like you said, the dynamic between the two of them, the back and forth, that made that scene so rewatchable, dare I say, because there was no getting out of it for either one of them. And yet they were happy to trade blows there. The, story, the aspect of the story that I loved so much, there was so much going on. It was so rot. But she leans on both of her dad's in different ways that was so heartwarming to me like she and ryan are building this relationship seemingly as friends like they're building a friendship and he can help her in ways that she can't really go to carson with but when it's all said and done and not to fast forward too much but when it's all said and done and she does see carson that's when she crumbles that's mm-hmm. she she once again feels really safe with carson and she can be vulnerable and cry and open up to him and I, ugh, I love that scene so much because it we've been working toward that I think the whole mm-hmm. season, and there is more payoff in the finale, but not, we'll we'll get there. But that was another aspect where she came up with that plan with Ryan, and we find out at the end where you know what we saw as always with the show. What we sometimes what we see is not the whole story because you know Nancy's a sly sly girl, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I loved seeing that partnership with outside of her friend group for this episode she was you know partnered with ryan i think that was a big another big payoff that we needed from this 
her arc this season mm. mm-hmm. and it was an interesting switch because if i recall correctly in the episode beforehand wasn't ryan on the other side because the two of them were investigating the same storyline together yeah. but in separately in their own ways so it was said a lot that ryan was the one that tracked her down he knew her better than she thought because he was able to track her down to lucy sable's house and i i totally agree i feel like they're they're starting to build she's recognizing ryan as her father but she will always see carson as her dad and i just think that like that the, the the dynamic the separate dynamics between the two of them is just amazing but also on top of that i'm i i can't remember if we saw it much in this episode i don't think we did so i'll, I'll save it for the discussion for the next episode when we get into it but the relationship between Carson and Ryan is starting to really blossom as well they, they both have the shared goal of looking after Nancy and you just think that the all three sides of the triangles coming together lovely in this finale this let's just call it a double finale because it felt like one episode <laughs> went into the next it was just every episode spills into the, from one into the other and I feel like Nancy's coherent storytelling has never faltered and certainly wasn't the case in these episodes I think that with Ryan and Nancy, um, what's great about the way that this starts um, for two of them at the back of the season is that the connection is grief. If they're like Celia dies and there are two people that love her enough to go after Everett, mm-hmm. like that to, to know that it is that her death has weight, like there were people that cared about her and the, and I think the, to allow ferocity in that, right? Like Ryan comes in, angry fist flying like it is it's a it's a visceral reaction and it's the same like reaction that nancy has to to learning what what she thinks is that ever killed her grandmother that we instead of this is a taser but the, the first reaction is violence and i think that is a natural reaction which is why i think when they reveal is this in this episode or is it in the next one but but about the the wraith i didn't yeah. like that the wraith was the reason they were giving for a lot of her behavior. And I was like, no, because she could still, she went through a lot. She could still have these feelings. It didn't have to be implied that it was the rape. Even with the tasing, I was like, I accepted it. She went to the dark side. She was traumatized and she had grief. I get it. Uh, But it it gives reason to, I guess they were trying to lend reason to Nancy acting out of character. And I was like, well, grief will have you do that. A a supernatural being doesn't have to. Yeah, I didn't necessarily need a separate reason for mm-hmm. for Nancy's behavior and I, I also would be interested in someday re-watching with this knowledge to kind of see if like we just talked about with Wendy like was this a retroactive decision was this like another thing they were just like oh that would be a really good way to tie up the stories to have this thing from the beginning have like been attached to her all season and kind of took her down this road but I want to see if there there were hints because they showed us the montage of like mm. moments where the wraith like um intervened in her behavior. But I would I would just be so interested to go back to see if like as a viewer, did we miss those moments? Were there like hints of them, or was that just like like a convenient like way to tie it together? I'm not I no judgment either way. Like I it worked for me as much as I was like yeah we didn't really need it, but like cool. That's mm. another way of putting it. Um, it did feel super similar in a way to what George has been going through. So it was kind of like another one. Um, but the st- stakes were a lot more dire much more quickly with the Wraith. Mm-hmm. I know, I agree. I feel like from a character standpoint, Nancy's always had a bit of a um, 
she seems to walk that morally gray area where she's maybe made some decisions that were questionable and then realized and learned from it. So it is, it's quite interesting that now we have a reason for why the, her latest batch of morally questionable decisions, it, it, it kind of works because she did make a lot of progress. And then throughout the season, you kind of see now looking back, she did start regressing and make more questionable decisions. Because like, like, for example, people were talking around of her, her, her relationship with Gil, and yet she always reached out to him when she needed something dark done because she knew he wouldn't question that. That kind of encouraged that. So, yeah, it does feel like there could have been a bit of retroactive rewriting done. But at the same time, I think the storyline was moving in the right direction that they got away with it. And then the montage, I was surprised they did that. I was like, oh, that's pretty clever when you saw it, because there were a lot of instances throughout the season that they showed. So it came together nicely, even if it wasn't necessary if that makes sense mm -hmm. but um i will say i do like the fact that it became about the wrath not not solely i didn't like that but this i feel like the finale or the setup of the finale gave it a very like buffy-esque quality because if i recall correctly i think season four of buffy had a season-long story and then wrapped that up in the penultimate episode and then a season finale was very much like standalone but like show oriented that's what this felt like it was like the Everett story, the Hudson story is very much the uh, main story of the season. And they practically wrapped that up in the penultimate episode. So they give Nancy a reason to need to deal with her feelings by making it a supernatural thing that they can deal with in a standalone episode. But it wasn't completely standalone because it tied back to, was that, was that the premiere or the actual premiere where the race showed up? I can't it was, remember. It was season two premiere. There it was, so, so they tied it in very, very well, especially since that wasn't supposed to be the original premiere because of the pandemic. So they tied it back very, very well. The start of season two led right through to the end of season two. I think it all came together really nicely and I appreciate it what they did because we always say Nancy tries something different and this was very, very different compared to what it had done so far. It's mm. funny that you mentioned the Buffy comparison because that's a thought that I had watching these episodes. Like, uh, <laughs> people have always compared the show to Riverdale and it might have some of the same like visuals. It's northeastern small town. Like it looks very stuck in a certain time period when the town like became like a, you know, a lot of trauma in these towns mm. and they're stuck in that time period. Um, they look very like a little bit older, you know, like Riverdale's like got that 50s motif and Nancy's got a, I don't know, whatever it is. The it 70s. just looks a little bit, Yeah, a little, mm -hmm. like, a, like a, they're stuck in the 80s a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. Less so in the wardrobe, but more so, I'm way off task. What was I even saying? <laughs> the Buffy. Buffy. <laughs> it, I was like, this reminds me of like Buffy and also like Stranger Things a little bit. Like these mm -hmm. episodes went really like, above and beyond what i think they had in the past like it was like she went full upside down not to get into the finale already but it's funny that you mentioned buffy so that was something i was getting i was picking up on in these episodes i think i think we can scoot into the finale and just hop back to episode 17 things when we need to because i feel like it is michael's right they are sort of like a two-parter it all kind of works together even with the hugs and stuff being wrapped up well the hudson stuff was not wrapped up part one of the hudson <laughs> problems was wrapped up then she had a whole other ancestral problem going on <laughs> i think that like i do see i've never seen buffy so i can't speak to that one but i do see the stranger things elements particularly in the storytelling around nancy's trauma and that umbilical cord and all the nancy's past that they did um which by the way that sequence like it reminded me of when she had to break free of 
the world she created in which she and everybody else that she cared about was happy, but like turned up the dial even higher to her actually having to once again confront the trauma that she keeps pushing down. Um, and I love that all of her friends show up in those moments and it, they bring their history um, with them and her history with them as well into the into her having to confront her different moments in life that changed who she was as a person that also made her kind of lose her identity as well it was like a traumatic wizard of oz and i mm -hmm. i loved it like it's beautiful it was a great way to for nancy to understand like you can't do it alone and all these people that you have in your life have played a part and her i guess conjuring them up because i don't think they knew that that happened right? no, they didn't. I don't know. <laughs> her conjuring up they each provide something in her life that's necessary whether she recognizes it or not and i knew ace was going to be last <laughs> i knew he was going to be last <laughs> this is a really emotional scene between the two of them too yeah and, uh, the double entendre of her asking him to hold her i mean she means mm. baby her but like oh the shot around them when she like when she hands him infant her and they're just there and their foreheads are together and they're having a little romantic moment i just got chills because thinking about that line again like discussing it out loud when she asks him can you hold me and he says i've been waiting for you to ask me that or something mm -hmm. and it kind of like he's always i'm getting chills i always get chills when i talk about the show he's kind of always been there to hold her to mm -hmm. lift her up to be there but she's never asked. He's always just been there. Mm -hmm. So she, oh my God, I'm going to cry. Like, that's so <laughs> deep. <laughs> like, she's finally asking him to, can you be there? For, can you hold me? Oh my God, I'm literally going to cry. That's so It's intense. beautiful. It is. <laughs> oh my God. But can we talk about the Nick one when she's in the grave? Um, I feel like we had a commenter say that there was, a moment or something or I I feel like once I saw it I was like oh I feel like someone had told us about this when she says that's why it hurt so much when you chose George in my mind I'm like is that how it went down like I feel like maybe that's not how it completely went down but then I remembered like we're in deep in Nancy's psyche mm -hmm. where she's been like pushing things down so maybe even if she didn't communicate fully that's how it felt when Nick and George got together somewhere in her that's how it felt that he was you know he's choosing George over her because you know she couldn't she can't provide what George can so I, I had to really do a lot of work in that scene to really do some critical thinking not that it didn't work like I think it if you think about it it really works but I had to like you know I had to sit with that for a minute and be like how did I feel about that <laughs> in context and everything I feel like with them too, there's been a lot of like vague history because like at the end of the day, we're going right back to the pilot for a dynamic that had been established before that. And he was there for her to help her get through a traumatic period of her life. But using is the wrong word, but she helped, she used the happiness she felt around him to get over that, but she never really treated him right. And I think that if I recall correctly, when she noticed that and when she was finally ready to make it official, he was like, I can't do this anymore. So I think maybe that's why then she felt upset then that he, he was able to move on with George right around the time she was ready to give him what he needed but she, she treated him wrong so I feel like that was like kind of like a beautiful farewell 
to the like will they won't they dynamic with Nick because we knew Nick's moved on and he's happy with George but the show never really moved on from it whereas I feel like now, now that Nancy's ready to officially move on from it that's kind of what that scene was I agree with you there was a lot of heaviness and powerful stuff in that one conversation that you probably need to sit with it for a couple of minutes or hours afterwards knowing the show just to fully digest it but beautiful scene nonetheless yeah I love Honestly, how they ended yeah. it <laughs> I was. I was like, I get to eat again. Like, it's really a Yes, but I mean, like, I think it's a great metaphor for the. We keep doing metaphors for the end of the relationship. I think, <laughs> but I think it is because um, it is difficult to let go of a future with somebody. Uh, when you know that it would have worked had you been in the right frame to accept the love that they were giving and to give them the love they deserve back. Mm-hmm. And I think for Nancy, uh, a fear of hers was losing Nick. Like, cause she, she says, she, thank you for still being my friend. Yeah. Yes, because she needs him in her life. She, it's very, They have the type of love that regardless of what their relationship is, she needs him in her life and she is willing to accept that in any capacity. Whatever... He needs from her, which in this case, it's friendship, you know, to be a good friend to her and for her to be a good friend to him, she will do it. And I think that was a way of, once again, sunsetting, <laughs> um, Drewson by literally putting her in a grave, right? We're, we're literally in a, a graveyard as she moves forward. Oh, metaphor. She's in a graveyard with Nick and she's putting her feelings away. She's expanding. She's exploring those feelings and he is embracing she's- her. She, climbing out of them to out of the grave and he's hugging her and she thanks him for being her friend and then she for being her friend and then we move to ace right he's on a cliff where she was born life we go from death to life <laughs> it's the end of relationship to the beginning of a new one i think god i love these writers but i mean that's a way to not i think there's a way to move her forward while paying respect to what her relationship with nick was like mm-hmm. but allowing her to open up to um, what she's been repressing, which is her feelings for Ace. Which mm. is why when she ends up on that doorstep and he's not oh. there, I was like, oh girl. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> I wanted him to like, there was a part of me that wanted him to like, I guess not leave Amanda because that would be a not good, that's not an Ace thing to do. He wouldn't just leave her. But I don't know, I wanted it to somehow work out. <laughs> you know? I'm glad it, it didn't because that's, I guess it's better storytelling just not because because we want it doesn't mean we need it right away you know mm-hmm. um we need to continue to work for this um but yeah that was like oh of course but yes. you got the she got the cookies and she she has her dad's which I thought that was another touching moment too well that and Nace got like one last crown he says I, I think I left something behind I said, yeah that's nancy <laughs> follow the feeling you need to ditch your bobsy i've already canceled the bobsy twins by the way i which hurt because i feel like they were really fun but i was like oh gil you let me down and amanda you, you just don't care about ace <laughs> no she doesn't i i think that like the um I didn't like that. It was like, I was only in a relationship with you because of the rape. I was like, that's not why she was in a relationship mm. with him, but I'll just, I'll just let the writing have that one. But I think it is true that part of the toxic element of their relationship is that he is controlling and he can be verbally abusive. Yeah. And she let it slide. 
because she was in a dark place herself. Um, and he does that exact same thing to Amanda, but Amanda won't leave her her relationship with her brother or put boundaries up between them. She doesn't know how to do that because she's never she's never had to, which makes me feel like it's an Amanda y'all not gonna be around for because even though he prioritized her. Um, and that's what she loved about that. She's not ready to be able to walk away from her brother mm-hmm. in a healthy way. And it's like you're gonna get it for like for like maybe two days into that trip, and then Gil's gonna call, and she's gonna go <laughs> right back to her shooting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I know. Wait. 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 Can we not to like turn us in a completely different direction? But Odette's done, right? George is fine for now. They still gotta remove her because it's she's only got ten years to live. So yeah. they got to get was, rid of like, Odette. so confusing to me. I kind of felt like they were, like, let's just be done with this and let Odette, like, go into the depths of George and her love. I thought she was going to be, like, oh, my gosh, my lifeline. <laughs> <laughs> and I also was, like, is the kiss with Bess going to, like, release, o- like, that's what she- Odette needed is to, like, have love nice. again. To, be, mm. like, just release. I was, like, can we just, like, let Odette be, be gone? <laughs> I thought that's what that was. I guess it wasn't fully, um it had more weight for best, which I was not completely mm. buying into mm. if I'm honest. Um, but fine. Everything else was great. We can have that be what it was. Like, I'm not going to hold that against anybody. Um, but I was kind of, I was expecting to see Odette like come out of <laughs> <laughs> George and just like evaporate into happiness in the afterlife. <laughs> it makes you wonder if that's going to become like, an overall show arc because with George's death's been foresaw- foretold since the very first episode it would be kind of poetic if it carries on now she better not die in the series finale oh we don't want that no no that would be su- such a letdown but no. I mean like now that Odette's in the background I feel like it could end up taking a back seat and then come back up in the final season and provide if they overcome it and save George I actually wouldn't mind that I'm ready to move on from it so that she's not in instant trauma right now but if it's something they want to bring back up towards the end so they can finally deal with that it would be rather poetic that it's kind of like bookended both ends of the show so I'm on board with that provided it doesn't overwhelm George in season three because just had far too many near-death experiences for two seasons yeah now we've got temperance yeah yeah, I, I mean, you know what? I enjoyed her. Not she that bad. Tub yeah. full of blood, but she does seem, but she's going to cause havoc, wreak havoc. It's yeah. going to be great. The way that um that magic wall just drops down after she's like, just the effects in this episode it, were crazy. They mm. were amazing. There's practical and CGI, right? Because I feel like the tree was something that they mm. built on set that mm. the rain the, was um, in. the umbilical cord corset <laughs> looked like it was whoever that stand-in was for kennedy looked like she was in makeup for right <laughs> <laughs> no it was so powerful the whole thing the whole like temperance part of it as well and again not to go back to buffy but the fact is with sabrina one of the parts of buffy is the reason these supernatural entities are attracted to sunnydale is because there's something called the Hellmouth below it and now it feels very much like horseshoe bay is the same kind of place and we're learning more about it as we go on there's something about it that draws all these creatures to it. And now temper it seems to be the source of temperance's power, which is why the witches cut her off from it in the first place. But now the wall is down. She's back in there. So, and power outage in town, uh, ghostly knocking on Nancy's door. So I feel like we're really heading into the supernatural territory in season three. And I really can't wait to see what it is, especially since the, I feel like the town's going to be more, come more of a character. And that's quite exciting. It's going to be a tight season two, 13. Oh, it's yeah. so good. <laughs> well, and that's why I'm glad that we waited till season three to do witches. Mm. Because I feel like we had to do some of the, we had to do ghostly things first. 
Yeah. And then bring <laughs> magic into into the equation. I do one of my hopes for season three two is not I don't need a complete tonal shift. I just do want Nancy to have a bit of a, a lighter time. Cause she's, <laughs> you know, she was through hell and back in season two. And I don't want to see her suffer anymore from her past. Um, just as a fan, I care about her too much. And I'm like, at some point the we need to heal a little bit and she just needs to, you know, deal with other things a little bit. So I I'm that's just my hope. I don't need like mm-hmm. a complete like they don't need to go on like a cruise and like really go on mm-hmm. vacation. I just need them to like, you know, they all deserve a little, you know, a deep breath yeah. and uh, yeah. to have a little easier time. Oh, hopefully that's what the setup is um, for why we went through this again with Nancy, because she does have that line about saying that she now has the ability to hold her trauma and Ace tells her she always did which again the the nace was on point this episode I know it was all like off screen too and I I feel like maybe if you didn't have the subtitles on and saw like Ace was saying all these things Mm -hmm. I mean I mean we probably know what his voice sounds like right now but it was cute that it was always him saying that stuff it was and he was always also really there supporting her and we noticed um the blocking was amazing like it's not that all her all of her friends are around her but he was the only one who tended to be touching her Held her mm-hmm. hand. Yes, the whole time. So lovely. Such a great I ship. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, what else? I think. Oh, to go back to her dad's. I, I I love that Nancy sent Carson on with Ryan because she recognized that Ryan needed a dad right now, mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. his dad is trash. So like it's to to go yeah. help take care of him, and then that. He's now teaching him how to do domestic things as like Nancy looks on fondly, but also laughing. <laughs> um, That's really cute. <laughs> it's adorable. I I to think about where we were in season one mm-hmm. to where we land by the end of season two, that is a journey. Yeah. Mm. Hard we, yeah. yeah. And we always said Ryan was that character who had potential for good, but always kind of leaned on the side of bad. He just needed those positive influences in his life, and I think he's finally found them. He seems so well-intentioned. He just didn't have the tools in his upbringing mm-hmm. to fully realize that. You know, you're hindered by your circumstances. And while he had incredible luxuries, he didn't have the luxury of family, mm-hmm. like a real family. And while, you know, Nancy's like trying to reconcile her family situation, I think she recognizes like, I do have like a family. I was the lucky one. Like my biological father doesn't know how to be a dad and that's okay. Cause I have a dad. Um, and it, he's enough for all of us. It's just also like poignant and like layered and I could talk about it for hours. <laughs> I know. Even the side plots, like the, um, I loved, I mean, you could kind of see the writing in, in um, episode 17 because we had to get Nick away from from the big plot around Nancy because we had to we had to see the stuff through the youth center. So George is like, it's the best emergency. I'll take care of it, you know, and like so he can go off and do his thing. But I loved his little standoff with Jake, the cafe owner. Obsessed, obsessed, <laughs> obsessed. Like as much of a journey as Nancy was on, I think Nick has been on a journey this season too yes. of like mm-hmm. fully realizing his own power and I think it, it's a payoff from I don't remember what episode but was it the previous episode I'm just realizing in his community like he doesn't have to like 
back down to these people like oh, he's yes. <laughs> he's proud of who he is and i love when he was like i'm rich and i was like you say it <laughs> <laughs> you earned it nick <laughs> yeah oh, he's fine. right in that guy's face i love yeah him. Oh, yeah and he's Jake, he... rotten hell all right <laughs> <laughs> um no I but he's him. <laughs> he's finally not he's not being apologetic for who he is anymore nick was so always like treated things with such like a gentle nature and we do love that about him but he's so fully at home with uh, uh, everything about himself because you know at the start he wasn't sure whether it was his mom or his dad approved of his lifestyle and like look at him now he's just thriving and the fact that he was able to get Tamara's help in the situation and that they follow through on Tamara's promise to do better and everything yeah that was payoff too yeah yeah wonderful Nick, Especially... Nick was like I'm not gonna let you forget that you said that yeah like, good for you Nick <laughs> he held him to that he did and I think there's just great messaging there about not only because he knows what it's like to to be considered a, um, someone that society shouldn't care about. You know, there's assumptions made about his time spent in jail. And he's thinking about these kids and the way that people talk about them, right? Like, Jake is like, what's, what does it matter if it's in the other town? And he's just like, because they belong here. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't, like, not belong to the community because you don't approve of their choices. Like, the point is to intercede in their bad choices so that they can have a better life and make better choices uh, that'll put them on a good path. And, like, the fact that Jake didn't want to help with that, as a, uh, I was like, Jake, you can have your reservations about, like, safety, but that it shouldn't be like, oh, well, I need to keep the town traditional. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's always been... If we know what that means. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, it was just not... It was not okay. So when Nick was like, I bought the building across the street, it's 50 feet away. And you have can know, you can say nothing. Oh, and I'm putting a cafe in it. Yeah. Oh yeah, icing on the cake. <laughs> I loved the the arc of it too, because at first Nick was like trying to be very diplomatic and like mm -hmm. appeal to him, but Jake was still trying to bulldoze him mm -hmm. and be racist. And Nick, he in that middle part, he was just like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. And then he was just like, you know what? No. <laughs> <laughs> I have money. <laughs> Sometimes money can be a solution if you put it and bet on it in the right places. And he's betting on his community. Mm -hmm. And I hope Jake goes out of business. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> run him out of business altogether. Uh, but last Nick point, the well, Nick and, and, and George, do we think the proposal is actually her wanting to move forward in life or do we think it was a trauma response to knowing that she her her lifespan is maybe 10 more years i think maybe both can be true because mm -hmm. i don't think she would have had those thoughts if she didn't have like a potential expiration date maybe she that was a way to help her realize like oh i kind of do want this these things so i don't think it would have happened without her mm. realizing that yeah, I feel like on one hand, you could perceive this in the way. I remember Sabrina um, Barry's early proposal to Iris in the flash oh, yes. to change the future, um, which did not go down too well. I'm mean, like, you could perceive it like that, like Reed said, a trauma response to try to change something and like live in the moment right away. But at the same time, I feel like the relationship is strong enough. I just wish we'd seen more of it, but I feel like the relationship is strong enough that they would have gotten to that point at some point. So maybe she is caught up in the moment and sometimes maybe it's better to live in the moment. So I'm eager to see where they go with this storyline in season three because I can see all sides of it. So whichever one they choose, I'm on board with. Okay, I'm, I'm on the fence about it. I'm like, I could see it. They Their, their relationship has always sort of been on a fast track. I mean, they own a business together. Mm -hmm. They're living together now. Um, they clearly are building them in a way that they want them to be to have a future together. 
Um, so I, the proposal didn't necessarily, it seemed, it seemed out of place in the sense that like, it, you're right, Reed, it was not something that she would have done had she not had an expiration date, even though she did admit that she'd been thinking about their life down the road, but I guess it had, it was closer to that 10 year mark when she thought that they would get married. Um, but I am so intrigued by the fact that they didn't have him answer. You know, that's a, that's what I was just going to say. I, we know Nick is a very logical man. Like he, I think he's going to raise some, some points. Um, but I feel like that's always how it goes with proposals in season finales or cliffhangers that the other person like will rarely say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also thinking back to the Gilmore Girls season five finale when Rory steals the boat and mm-hmm. uh, Lorelai is just like, my life is a mess. And she proposes to Luke. Because that's like the only thing that she can like, that's what she has left. That's the, her second strongest relationship. And they actually like, he says yes. And they, I think they try to get married in the season six premiere or something. Or like, I don't know. I remember them breaking into dozies and like trying to get like Zima or something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I don't know. Maybe Nick will be like, eh, whatever. Let's do it. I don't know. I, I do think it might not be for the complete right reasons, but I mean, you only live once. I guess George has it right. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, I'm glad we don't have to wait. <laughs> we yeah. <laughs> maybe we'll have our answers next week. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. I hope so. I wonder if they will do a time jump or if mm. we're going to go right into, like, literally right after, like, maybe the day after the season finale ends. You guys are going to try to have to, like, hold me back because we're going to talk on Monday and be like, I already finished season three. <laughs> <laughs> episodes i'm sorry i can do that in a weekend (laughs) (laughs) i won't i won't i promise 40 minutes (laughs) uh but okay so before we end uh we have do we want to manifest do we want to toast do you want to save it for next week let's manifest yeah riverdale season seven trailer we want it yes yes (laughs) positive thinking thinking you know by the time the mole like, that's the mole second bullet point so mm-hmm. like don't run away yet just mole but we would like a Riverdale season seven trailer perhaps you can get that to us before even like the pod episode drops I mean we would mm. not complain yeah I mean she's been taking her time on her recent homework we've given her so <laughs> well to be fair she's making sure the golf flopped <laughs> that's a big that's a big responsibility that, yeah that was a big ass yeah, she followed us through <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Riverdale is coming soon, so I mean, like, trailer would be handy, so we'll manifest it. Like, and I'm, feel, I'm going through Riverdale withdrawals. Not enough to, like, watch mm. it on Netflix, but enough to, like, <laughs> want a season yeah, seven. I, I kind of forgot it was coming, and now that it's kind of in the conversation again, I'm like, I want it yesterday, so any kind of teasers would be fun. Yes, and then, Reed, you had, like, pitched this um, to Reed Michael about retrospectives for Flash and Riverdale, and now I want it desperately. Like, mm. I need them to have sat the cast down already. Like, it would have, it, there were so many shows that ended in 2022 that it makes sense that all 11 or whatever didn't get an hour-long retrospective, not even, like, a cast interview on Instagram or something, but the Flash and Riverdale paid the CW's bills. Let's call a spade a spade. Mm. They deserve an hour-long special along with the series finale to honor these shows to celebrate them it's and they're also the last like two enormous shows from the cw brand as we knew it so Mm -hmm. i don't know i'm just um 
I guess this is a preemptive roast just in case they don't do it because my expectations are low. But I'm really hopeful that they will do some sort of celebration for The Flash in real. I mean, 90210 got one 10 years ago. And not to put down my favorite show, but like The Flash and Reveal did a whole lot more for the CW's brand than 90210. That's just honesty. So don't come for me. I'm the biggest 90210 fan in the world. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but you're making an excellent point. These are arguably the network's two biggest shows ever. And the fact that they're ending in the same season is kind At of least monumental. This era. Yeah, yeah. Just to put an absolutely. asterisk on that point. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but I feel like we did one with Arrow and that was that was absolutely worthwhile. But we didn't do that one for Supergirl or Black Lightning and then the cancellation started. So I just I would like to before we say goodbye to the original or modern CW era, I just think we should bid farewell to those shows in style because they're like they're arguably the biggest ever, certainly the biggest of today's day and age. So let them go out with a celebration instead of like just being a footnote of the many shows at the end this year. Yeah, no fizzles. We want to bang. Yes. yes we the past deserve. Yes. Even if it's just like a blooper reel, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> or like like a Comic-Con panel from four years ago. I don't care. I want something. <laughs> Could you imagine if they reacted to their first Comic-Con panels and that was the uh. <laughs> I need it. Like, I don't care if they don't even send the Riverdale cast out on like a promotional run. If you give me an hour-long special the night of the series finale, I will forgive all anything else. I just, I want it. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Riverdale one would have to air at 7. Because the, um, or I guess at 10, they can't do 10 because they turn the news on at then. I'm sorry, it's just because Nancy and Riverdale are together finale-wise. Oh, yeah. Think, oh, well, maybe Nancy Come on a Sunday, we'll watch. Take a week off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do something. They'll figure they we present the idea you figure out the scheduling mm-hmm. yes <laughs> the ball's in their court yes take it on over to them don't let us down <laughs> we need this desperately um and then to end michael itvx wbcw content Surprise for international fans. Big, big surprise. Um, so the UK has recently launched streaming service ITVX, which is an extension of ITV. It's a catch-up service for soaps like Carnation Street, but it's recently turned into like an actually proper streaming service. And my goodness, did I get a shock when I went onto it the other day and seen a ton of CW and WB content. So you have Arrow, you have The 100, you have All-American, which I believe is its UK debut because it was never on over here. Um, you also had then classics like Smallville, um, Heart of Dixie, um, Dawson's Creek, The O.C., One Tree Hell. So much amazing young uh, young adult teen content from the from the WB days, the CW days. Um, and I, I know based on the three of us and our likes, that it's suddenly become our favorite streaming service. So I just I, <laughs> I love the fact that this streaming service feels like it came out of nowhere. And I'm going to be watching a lot of ITVX and I hope everyone else in the UK does because this is high quality content from many, many eras that we, some of it we never thought we'd see over in the UK. So thank you ITVX for introducing them to the UK audiences. A treasure trove of bangers. Like it's yes. going to be a game changing. Like look out for some like pilot review. We're going to get into it. This is yes. so happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be so fun. I cannot wait. Guys, this era of our podcast, even though it's just started, already feels amazing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Positive thinking. 
<laughs> onwards and upwards. <laughs> onwards and upwards. Okay, well, that is it for this super jam-packed mm. podcast episode. Uh, we are the CW Spiral. I'm Sabrina. I'm Michael. And I'm Reed. Bye, y'all.